Welcome back to Taiwan Talk on ICRT FM 100, where we bring you culture and interest stories from around Taiwan. I'm today's host, Ryan Drillsma, and today's guest is Dr. Alice Chung from Academia Sinica's Institute of Sociology. Dr. Jung is a demographer and has written about changes in attitudes towards marriage in Taiwan, Confucianism and fertility in Asia, and the aging workforce. Today we talk about what a declining birth rate means for Taiwan and what needs to be done so that more people are having children. Hello, Dr. Jung, and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Now, let's start with something that's been in the news quite a lot recently. Taiwan's projected to have a super-age society by 2025, which means one in five people will be aged over 65. What do you think this will mean for society? And will Taiwan be able to handle the burden of having more and more older people to care for? Well, um, this is a common uh, demographic future for many developed societies. It's not just Taiwan. The, the only thing that sort of differentiates Taiwan from all these other Western developed aging societies is that demographic transitions in Thailand happen extremely fast. So it's compressed into four or five decades. So it took like maybe a century for European countries to experience the fertility from five to two, but it's, for Taiwan, it's like three, 30, 40 years. And it's, it's common across all these advanced East Asian economies. Why do you think birth rates globally in developed nations have generally declined? Well, I think uh, one factor I mentioned earlier is because the entire demographic change or fertility transition happened within a very compressed um, time. And this is accompanied by rapid uh, increase in women's um, socioeconomic status um, in terms of um, their educational level and their em- employment status. And, you know, labor force participation rates, for example, has uh, increased a lot. Globally, when women's status improved, it's usually uh, uh, it usually comes with a lower fertility because they they have let's say quote unquote another career that they they can pursue outside the home. Before, when women were deprived of their education and employment rights, the only quote unquote career they have in their life is basically looking after the home. You know, take care of the kids, make sure their husband and their 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 older parents in law are, you know, having a good life and, you know, so this is basically what they do. But when they can pursue their their dreams or life goals outside their family, you know, it's going to give them lots of options to basically determine, like, what they want to do in their life. So with both members of a household pursuing a career, there's less room for a couple to have children. Is there any way governments have sought to mediate this? There are these uh, model populations, if you can, if you want to put it that way, like in the Nordic countries or in West, uh, northwestern European countries, where uh, the the governments actually think about what's happening in the society, and then they see that the key issue is really you can't just uh, let women have better education and better employment prospect, but still expect them to take up all the the child caring and household chores. And so they they act in different speed to 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 meet their needs to help them balance work and family. But this this kind of governmental proactiveness is it doesn't happen so quickly, and it's it's less than ideal um, to see what what has been done in East Asian countries, largely because on the one hand, this entire region is a collectivist um, 
has a collectivist culture. So people think that you know anything that happened within the the family is the resp- responsibilities of the family members. It's not really like government's responsibilities. This is like a very new modern thinking, you know, and it's influenced by lots of the lot of the welfare state ideas from the West. And so. Uh, take a look at uh, Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. Any kind of pronatalist policies happened roughly two to four decades after uh, period total fertility rate dropped below 2.1 children. So it's quite uh, slow, and so they, they it really take them a long time to think what's going on and what we need to do. And still, uh, even when they put forth all these new policies, you just look at Japan. You know, <laughs> they they already have this angel plan kind of things that help women uh, balance work and family. But what you see is that their their fertility rate basically didn't improve at all. Why do you think this is? It's very difficult because um, there is another problem on the organizational uh, culture side. You know, all these big corporations and companies are even slower to adapt because in in their mind they are thinking about you know you know optimize their their to, to optimize their profit. So you know, letting your employee to take all these benefits only add to the total cost of your your um, your company and your enterprise. So there are many different things happening to, to sort of impede the effectiveness or the progress of government policies. And, and so you see that policy on the one hand is very slow, and on the other hand, pe- people are nevertheless uh, increasingly <laughs> postpone their family plans to later and later ages. Now, I believe what you've pointed out in your research is the situation might not be as bad as it appears. Period fertility rates have definitely been slashed, but what you call the cohort fertility indicators haven't experienced as much of a change. For our listeners who don't know, the cohort fertility rate is the total number of children women from a specific year give birth to throughout their childbearing years. Whereas the fertility period rate, which we usually see, is how many children are born in a specific year. For some reason, it's rarely mentioned in Taiwan, and I think it's very bad, and it's not helping us to understand the entire situation in a more comprehensive way. But anyway, if you look at the cohort fertility rates, fertility rates, that's actually the real completed fertility levels for real cohort of women, you see that it's also declining, but not uh, in such a such a great scope as the period measure. And the good thing is that if you look at the cohort measure, you can actually disentangle whether women are actually having fewer kids, regardless of whether they are married or not. Or, you know, part of the reason is because they are marrying. There are fewer people marrying. And the truth is, for all the uh, for at least for uh, the cohorts of women born in 1970 to 1974. Uh, you, you know, they are nearing the end of their reproductive career. You see that for all the married women, you know, they're having two kids on average. And so what kind of composition are these cohorts? So you basically see half of them, 50% or, or so, having two kids. And about a quarter of them having three or more kids. And so another 20% having only one kid. And 5% of them roughly, you know, having no kids even after you know, they, they got married. 
So it's not like the the story you see on on all these mass media where you know period total fertility rates only one kid, so women in Taiwan only have one kid over their lifetime, and so all these Taiwanese kids now they're lone kids. They have no sibling. This is totally nonsense. What Dr. Jung is saying is that it appears many less women are choosing to have children because they're delaying having children until they are older. This has created almost a gap that we're living through now as births are delayed. However, Dr. Jung also says fewer marriages in recent times could be correlated with lower birth rates, although women choosing not to have kids if they don't get married could be down to cultural reasons. So what's driving down fertility is that for these 1970 or 74 cohorts, about 20% of them never got married. And this is another thing about the Confucian culture, because non-marital birth is still, is still very much stigmatized. And it's just like how we used to call it bastardy, you know, in the old days in Western countries. And so no one dared to do that. And then so, so even if you have a stable cohabiting partners, it's not likely to, re- uh, to, to lead to child, uh, childbirth. Dr. Jung also says continuing family lineage is also important in East Asian culture, and older women are often discriminated against despite still being fertile, due to a prevailing belief that they are not. Dr. Jung says this means there are huge cohorts of men competing for small cohorts of young women. Uh, childbearing or continuing the family lineage is so important um, in the minds of parents and uh, Young people, especially young men who want to get married, they think, oh, this is that one reason why they want to get married. If, if, if they see, oh, uh, uh, like their, their future um, wife or daughter-in-law-to-be maybe have some uh, fertility issues, you know, this is not going to lead to marriage. So I, I, I also point out in my research that these this also leads to the discrimination against women uh, above their uh, mid-30s, you know. And um, so, but the thing is, women in, in the age range of mid-30s and above are f- coming from much larger birth cohorts. And they, I'm sure many of them are perfectly fertile, but they are at the same time <laughs> discriminated against by this, um, this marriage culture that stress emphasize so much the importance of uh, reproduction. And so it's, it's a very paradoxical situation. And so, like, you know, bigger cohorts of unmarried men competing with uh, smaller cohorts of younger men against small, smaller cohorts of women. So this is the classical marriage squeeze uh, situation in demography. And so there are many things going on. <laughs> And that's why we're seeing um, later and fewer marriages. It's a bit unfortunate. And I, I, I think we need more in research into these um, uh, currently unmarried population, men and women. What are their stories? What kind of obstacles they face? But there's so little uh, research into this. And, uh, you know, policymakers just throw out all these imaginary things that they think will work without any empirical base. And that's dangerous. And so wasting people's tax money to, to put forth <laughs> these so-called welfare or pronatalist policies is not going to work. The, the thing is, I, I, I think, is that not the, the, the kind of story that people don't want to get married. They ha- they're having problems finding a suitable 
partner to get married. So, do you think there was there's some truth in what、uh, the Taipei Mayor Kowanja said、mm-hmm. last year, which is、mm-hmm. that、um, people are having less kids because less people are getting married? I mean, he he proposed a subsidy to. Married couples to encourage more people to get married. Do you think this is a more effective way of encouraging people to have children? Both of the the child allowance or marriage allowance, it's not going to work. Well, it's helpful. Any kind of、uh, financial aid to to、uh, parents or to people who have marriage plan is good, but it's not going to reverse the trend because, especially raising kids in Taiwan. Uh, at least among middle class parents, is very expensive. It it's not just、um, uh, school schooling expenditures. There are lots of extracurricular expenses. Now you see that in in Taiwan and in many many countries, there's this、um, low wage problems and precarious jobs for among the younger、uh, generations. So economic readiness is getting longer and more difficult to attain. And so、uh, the only thing is people. Can cannot really get married early, and that's just gonna compress the time they have to have kids or to form families. And so, I think there there are many factors going into this、um, issues. And for for the for marriage, there there is some kind of social threshold to get married. It's not just oh I love you, you love me, so let's get married. <laughs> get married. It's not just like that. It involves like parents from two families. And also, par- parents from both sides have some kind of expectation, like、uh, what kind of financial readiness this this man or the ideal some criteria for ideal daughter-in-law. They have all these different things, you know, in their mind. So it's really not the same kind of situation like in Western countries. Okay. Yeah. So one way we could perhaps encourage the government to. Make policy more friendly towards allowing people to have more children is to put more research into、uh, why people want to marry or why people don't want to marry, and and the factors that are causing people to delay raising families. This is actually key, very key, and so、uh, across all East Asian societies. Uh, when you try to look at low fertility issues or the literature in English, the most researched country is probably Japan. And why? Be- it's not because Japanese scholars write a lot in English. It's because there's a larger Western、um, uh, circle of scholars who are, who are English speaking. They are interested in Japan, so they're looking into the situation in Japan. And Japan and Taiwan have some similarities, you know, in in this low fertility.、Um, Uh, situation, and so you see that there's an emerging literature that's really looking into why married、uh, women or or even men stay unmarried, or for some Japanese men like never uh, uh, not having a girlfriend for a long time for more than a decade or something, you know, in their early forties or mid forties because they also are aware of the fact that this is key to why fertility stays so low. Thank you once again, Dr. Alice Jung from Academia Sinica's Institute of Sociology, for joining us on today's show. And thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can catch a new episode of Taiwan Talk on air every Monday. Hi, I'm Ryan Drilsma, and I'm Trevor Tordemasi, and we're the co-hosts of Taiwan Talk. You can catch our show on ICRT every Monday during the 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. newscasts. Or you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Sound On, or wherever you might usually find podcasts. 
New episodes are uploaded every Monday night. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with a new guest.